Hello and welcome to the Caucus 50 Oral History Project. This episode is all about the Leadership Educators Community of Practice, past, present, future. And I'm so excited to jump into the conversation with the four amazing guests that we have here today. And I'm just going to kind of do some quick intros and we'll jump right into our interview, our panel, our discussion. So first of all, Shannon Thibodeau. So Shannon currently serves at the University of Guelph as Manager, Student Engagement and Leadership. Is that accurate? Okay. I pulled all of this from LinkedIn, so I assume all of our LinkedIn's are accurate. Totally um, accurate. <laughs> Amanda Sartori currently serves as an Organizational Development and Learning Strategist at York University in Toronto and is a past LACOP co-chair. Paula P.J. Broderick currently serves as Manager, Student Engagement and Leadership at Kwantlen Polytechnic University in Surrey, B.C. and is also a past LACOP co-chair. And Jenny Danes is currently a coordinator of student transitions and engagement at the University of Guelph in Guelph, Ontario, and is also a past LACOP co-chair. Welcome. Shannon, did I miss? I know that you've been involved with LACOP, but I don't know that you've ever had like a quote unquote positional role officially, or am I uh, forgetting something? No, you're not forgetting that. I was around during the infancy of things, but never actually um, chose to have a titled role. I think at one point, the co-chairs just called yourself and myself the uh, LACOP historians. Um, but that wasn't necessarily yeah. a role that got transitioned from person to person. <laughs> I think that was just a nice way of saying like old people who were hanging around long enough. But Pretty also, much. it's also a tribute that you can contribute meaningfully without a position or a title. So mm -hmm. actually, why don't we start there, Shannon, about some of the origins of like, what is LACOP full stop? So maybe we'll start, maybe Paula as a, as a recent co-chair, what, what is LACOP? Yeah, that's a great question. Jenny and I, when we were co-chairs, always said that LACOP is kind of an umbrella for any and all sorts of leadership educators. So if you're working in a formal setting with leader, student leaders on your campus, if you're working with transition leaders, if you're working with uh, student governance, you're in sort of an educator, leadership educators um, frame of mind. It kind of encompasses all student affairs. And I would argue um, that it kind of encompasses all of the higher education scope. Um, we're in the development of human beings and leadership education is a big piece of um, not only our development of students, but our development of ourselves as professionals. And so we welcome any and any and everyone under the umbrella of LACOP. And we find that, at least during our time, that those diverse voices brought different perspectives that were important to the discussion. Awesome. Thanks. Jenny, did you want to add on to that in, in any way? Yeah, I think similar to what Paula said, I think student affairs, um, there's key trends and themes in every role, but also our titles are each so different. Um, they vary from institution to different provinces. Um, so it is really interesting space for uh, folks in the COP to join and to learn a bit about similarities that are happening across leadership educators, even though you might not have the official job title of like a leadership educator, which I know a lot of folks don't. So getting those variety of experiences and then getting the chance to connect with folks who do similar work to you is really amazing. So really, like Paula said, we just welcome everyone and anyone. That's really great. I remember early days us throwing around like the TED framework, like the training education development. So you might be training folks for particular roles or positions. 
you might be educating people about leadership theory and concepts, or you might be developing, you know, helping people find their definition of leadership and their sense of self. And those models, those approaches exist across all, like whether you're supervising a work study student or you're engaging with student athletes or you're like, there's all these different ways that we're doing leadership education. So it is, it is pretty expansive. Amanda, I'm going to go over to you. And I'm so excited to hear your perspective as someone who is doing leadership education and you've shifted from doing student facing work to now doing staff facing work. So what is a leadership educator and what was your experience with LaCoppe? I tried to think about a definition for a leadership educator and it was difficult because I think the it could be anyone in any doing anything as Paula and Jenny have alluded to. Um, one thing that kind of was a through line for me was an, anyone who's engaging in, in work where there's some sort of development or growth or change uh, or movement. And so really that is a super broad definition of what a leadership educator is. From the like staff perspective or from my work now working with staff, we're thinking a lot about capacity building, resourcefulness in changing environments, which is not super different from students navigating, uh, transitioning into post-secondary or uh, learning new tools to do their education or, you know, progress academically, et cetera. Um, so I do see a lot of, of links there, but we're really there's a lot of focus right now in my work on how can we build capacity, um, kind of guide folks to water um, and, and let them continue to drink from it, if that is an appropriate little metaphor there. Thanks, Amanda. And as our like three folks who are past co-chairs, what would you say as is something that folks can expect from LaCob as a community of practice? It's a good question. And I think it shifts throughout the years I don't think Jenny and I moved away from that TED um, model the big thing for us in our years as co-chairs was that connection so we we led during the COVID-19 pandemic and the big thing that a lot of people were struggling with was a exactly what as Amanda said capacity but also finding connections and building a community of support and so um I as of now, I think that one of the things that LaCop is really good at is building those connections across the country. Yeah. Jenny, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think similar to kind of building off what Amanda said and both Paula, this idea of, you know, letting folks define what leadership looks like to them, um, but also kind of providing what we provide for our students in a sense of being a leadership educator is that like, we are helping them work through boundaries as educators. Um, we're helping them build up capacity. And that's similar to what we tried to do and we continue to do in, in LaCop in forming those connections. But definitely, I think now that caucus is rotating virtual and in-person as well in terms of the conference, it's going to provide some really cool opportunities for connections with folks moving forward. Awesome. And I love, I love that layering Jenny of you know thinking about what we do for students what LaCobb can do for leadership educators and thinking about that and also what I've noticed is through your leadership is really expanding in the same way that we're trying to help students expand their notion of leadership beyond what is typically reflected in kind of dominant discourse I think LaCobb has helped say you know there's lots of different ways to be a leadership educator and to do leadership development and it can be reflective of your institutional context or this particular population or audience yeah so that's been really good and Paula, did you want to mention something about letting the LaCop membership kind of also inform 
yeah. the direction of, of the community of practice? I, I think that one of the unique things that has kind of grown out of the COP is really allowing the members to let us know what they want. So it's always a conversation and a discourse between what is the LACOP council or the LACOP leadership team and then finding out what is needed. What do they want? What do they want to learn? Where are the things that they're missing or want to connect on or want to have a discussion about? And that's really what drives the community of practice um, as opposed to coming together as co-chairs deciding this is what we're doing throughout the year. It's really about what does the membership need? Where are they going? What are the struggles and things that they're having difficulty with, but what are the things that we're celebrating and what are the things that they're working in in research and development in new areas of leadership? Awesome. Thank you. Maybe we can get in our time machines and go back a few years and think about like a world pre-LACOP, if there's such a thing. Because I know that in some of our other podcast episodes, we've talked about the shift into the community practice model. And there and the leadership educator community is interesting because it's one of the communities that kind of existed in a, in a way, in a few different ways across Canada and with regional networks prior to the community practice model. But Shannon, I was wondering if I could turn to you as one of our, you know, former LACOP historians about what are some of those things that you can remember from those early pre-LACOP days? When I think back to the early days, if I travel back in that time machine, um, Adam, you're right there with me. And we're actually at the University of South Florida in Tampa at a Leadership Educators Institute. And we're surrounded by colleagues from uh, mostly the U.S., but several other Canadians, learning about, you know, some foundational theories in leadership education affecting college and university students and sort of lamenting to ourselves that when we go back to our home campuses, we sometimes feel a little bit alone. Um, in having roles at that time that were fairly focused, not entirely, but predominantly focused on leadership education and development um, for student leaders, for the general like campus population, and that we loved caucus as our professional home, but didn't feel like there was a a venue to pull together those folks for whom leadership education was a, a key component of of what they do. Um, And that really started us just saying, well, maybe we could just reach out to other colleagues and get together, Um, which is what we started doing, taking turns, hosting meetings. This is very pre-virtual things being easy to do online, um, because I think we're going back to like, I want to say 2009, 2010, and uh, waiting for caucus to see where they were going to land with a structure, but knowing that we wanted to exist in some way as a group of colleagues that felt connected and felt like we had something to share with one another and learn from one another. And so we really just started with these meetings, this connection, this way of feeling like there was support for what we were doing at a time when leadership education seemed to be growing within the Canadian post-secondary context. So we were finding more folks on campuses where this was a particular focus um, and finding a way to like share those resources, share that learning was really important. And there, yeah, and caucus supported that in terms of creating like the birds of a feather concept of like, you know, bringing together people to talk about things that they were interested in and create some space for us to facilitate our own conversations with our colleagues about that before the formal LACOP community of practice actually got sorted out. Yeah, I just had a flashback to um, that Leadership Educators Institute. That was, that was great. I'm also reflecting back to 
some of the efforts. There was also the Leadership Educators Resource Network Learn. Right. Um, that uh, I, I, it was a virtual space that I think I remember Ian Simi had a, a big hand in pulling that together, and I think Lisa was really big at like animating that space. Kind of, it was like a resource sharing like. I'm trying to think what are the bulletin board style place yes, where you would ask yeah. the curriculum. And so this was kind of happening almost simultaneously, which was really great in some ways because Canada as a giant country, I mean, our kind of regional meetups were really handy, I think, in Southern Ontario, where we've got a lot of, you know, institutions. But then for the folks, how do we connect folks from across um, different types of regions and spaces and institution types? So this, I feel like this confluence all kind of led to what eventually became the leadership educators community of practice. Um, yeah. And I think there was, it, you know, that, that learn sort of research resource network um, really spoke to what we were hearing from colleagues across Canada, which was this desire for actual resources of knowing like, how are you running your leadership trainings and what are you including? And like, who does what on your campus? And almost like folks trying to get a sense of not only where they fit on their own campus, but, how other campuses were structuring those pieces, knowing how unique things can be in the sector, like that every campus has its own sort of culture and flair. And that virtual space, you know, had a chat board so you could kind of have discussion posts and things like that. It was sort of like a little classroom off to the side uh, where we could post things and try to create some resources um, and discussion for folks to connect around. But to your point, Adam, about like, the density of post-secondary in certain parts of the country, um, I think got fairly quickly reflected in where the regional pieces were taking off. So like Southern Ontario, Lower Mainland BC, parts of the East Coast where there's a strong network and connection among the post-secondary on the East Coast. And it's the spaces in between that Lacoste has helped sort of fill out a little bit more fully and the technology that has advanced in the last, you know, 15 or so years. Right, right. Also, I, want to, I think I said Lisa casually as if everyone <laughs> would know who I was talking about, and mo- most people should, but it was Lisa Endersby, who is, uh, who is now at York, and uh, was a tremendous part of that, of that evolution, I think. So I just wanted to name that as well. So we've got this origin, um, thinking around, then it became the community practice model. It was kind of a natural fit. But I wanted to maybe poke for a second because there's some connections with the orientation, transition, and retention community practice and, you know, peer helper, like these, some folks are wearing multiple hats. They're doing, you know, I'm doing peer helping, I'm doing orientation, I'm doing leadership education. And so uh, in terms of that connection point around what can folks expect from getting involved with LACOP, I'm just wondering around what, and Paula, you mentioned around this sense of community, this sense of connection, but I'm also thinking around these these worlds where we've got these kind of connecting points across portfolios. How do we support those members that might be wearing multiple hats, I guess, is, is my question. Jenny, d- did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I think, the great things about LaCop is we draw in folks who also fit in other communities of practice. So in Ottercop or orientation, transition and retention, the peer support as well. So when Paula and I were co-chairs, we really tried to do some uh, collaborations with those folks because we knew a lot of members were the same. So um, we were super excited and thrilled to have the in-person kind of OTR and Lacoste meetup at the past caucus event. And I think 
you know, seeing those continue is really great because you can also draw on the variety of different perspectives. And, you know, I'm just thinking of folks who, you know, promote leadership education through orientation volunteers and how you have them for a smaller period of time, but you're still trying to instill some similar principles. Or, you know, maybe uh, folks who are doing leadership advising and you you use the same principles, but have those uh, conversations over continued periods of time. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from one another. So it's kind of a bit about how to how to make those connections. Paula, do you have anything else you want to add? I, I think the other thing is that um, leadership education doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's it, exactly as Adam said, many people wear many different hats and are juggling many different pieces at all times. And so, and this is not only Jenny and I, but historically, um, the co-chairs who came before us and even the co-chairs who are leading now are looking for opportunities to work with different communities of practice in research, in counseling, in the EDI space. And how does, what does, what does leadership education look like in all of those areas? Because it doesn't exist by itself. And I think that that's important, especially as we continue going forward with the many challenges that we're seeing across our campuses. Yeah, that's a really good point. It just gave me a flashback to some early webinars that Lakaw posted, and they're always at the intersection of leadership education and another kind of functional area. So it was like health and wellness for leadership, you know, students involved with leadership and are using a wellness lens to supporting leadership or student leaders, international students and leadership. Like, I think that that intersection of, you know, leadership education and the work that we're doing uh, it does not exist in a vacuum, put it perfectly, um, Paula, around how do we make sure that we're connecting those dots across all our functional areas. Amanda, do you remember when you were kind of leading, uh, co-leading with with Sarah Mami Lacop? I remember the, there, that was a very active period of time for Lacop. There was a lot of things that got up and running in that time. Yeah, the one that really is like top of mind for me and as I was reflecting for this conversation was uh, Leadership Links. It was the kind of mentorship. I put mentorship in virtual quotations here because it was more of a just a peer-to-peer conversation where we sent out prompts to to pairs over a period of time. Um, but I thought that was like a really, I'm super biased here because I helped to, to coordinate it, but I thought it was a really great opportunity to connect with folks that you quite literally perhaps could never connect with otherwise across the country. Um, even Paul and Jenny, as you were saying, folks that might be involved in other functional areas and student affairs, but have some sort of through line to leadership education to be able to connect with someone um, who's maybe has wearing multiple hats or in another, predominantly another functional area was really interesting and, and neat as well. I, I think about that uh, a lot as um, certainly a highlight of, of being involved in LaCop. It was so much fun. Still a highlight today. Sorry? Still running strong leadership. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely to hear. It really is a great model. And I I remember the discussion specifically because I think we started as a more typical mentorship program where it was like, you know, there was someone maybe who had, quote unquote, more experience that was mentoring someone who had maybe, quote unquote, less experience. And then that ran, but I think it was under your leadership, Amanda, that it was like, okay, I think what people are actually looking for are these connections across the country and they're not necessarily look. they just want pals to talk with and debate, you know, the work that we're doing. And so it was this mutual mentorship program and that's where it kind of found a really great sweet spot. And it's like one of the more popular things that I think Lookup 
uh, does. There's a lot of take up. And I think there's other communities of practice that are, are curious about that model, which is, it's really lovely to be a leader in that respect. Okay, so we've talked about what LaCop is, its origins. What's going on for folks today in 2023? What are leadership educators worried about, thinking about, spending time, you know, on our campuses contending with? What does that look like? Um, okay, if we, Shannon, can we start with you? Because I feel like your role is expansive. And so I feel like you might have um, a, a nice bird's eye view about some of the things that leadership educators might be thinking about today. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I was just sort of smiling because I thought, I was thinking about how as much as things change, they somewhat stay the same. <laughs> um, so there's always this balance of um, trying to create space for what uh, what Paula said earlier about like, you know, we're all human, like making good humans, like this idea of skill building and helping students know how to navigate the world, their ideas, um, their passions and build some capacity and some relationship skills around how to do that really effectively. So I think there's still a foundation there around those concepts of personal skill building to then be used within you know, group or broader settings that can contribute to community development, community goals, that kind of thing. What I see different now than, you know, you might have seen eight years ago is the, and I work at a four-year, like, university, so with predominantly undergrads, although there are some grad students, and I'm definitely seeing in the work that uh, my staff are doing with student leaders that are, like, elected or appointed into roles or um, in the work that Jenny and the folks that she's with are doing with um, incoming students or transfer students is that some of the skills that we used to consider um, entry level, like students came with certain skill sets already in place, they don't have those in the same way that they did before. And, you know, we might attribute this to differences in how they were learning in high school and what things became um, accessible to them when you know, they might have been experiencing virtual high school instead of in-person opportunities. They may have had less outside of the classroom opportunities throughout their high school experience. And so where we're starting from is a little bit different um, in terms of some foundational skill building. Um, but the the type of passion, idea generating, like desire to make change in the world has in no way been tempered <laughs> because students still have tons of ideas about what they think is like the way forward and but still need some support around building the skills for how to make those ideas heard effectively or how to bring others alongside with them or how to join alongside other people. But the the skill itself, like it does seem like we're starting at a little bit of a different place. And the other thing I would just add is um, definitely the relationship building piece. Like this conversation already has talked so much about the value that people find in community, the value people find in um, being in a leadership links program. Like I am still connected to the person in the first year the leadership links program ran. And they are now at a very different stage of their career, working at a totally different institution. And we still are connected. The skill around connecting and of, you know, that little bit of discomfort when we're meeting somebody for the first time and, and trying to build relationship. I think it's something where um, we're definitely seeing a, a bit of a theme with a lot of students where that's an area of real discomfort around how to do that. Um, 
And so there is a little bit more focus on the value of that in terms of their own success, their own well-being, and knowing how to build community, how to be part of community, how to develop relationships that are healthy, um, and working with our campus partners around being able to do that, um, more so than we would have seen even three or four years ago. Very good point. And I was seeing the folks won't hear this on the podcast, but there was lots of nods <laughs> as Shannon was speaking from, from the other panelists. Um, Amanda, Paula, Jenny, any thoughts on what you're spending time thinking about as a leadership educator? Any trends or concerns that you're thinking about? Jenny? I also think about, you know, reflecting on my own time in university, all the pressures that are put on on student leaders today. And I think, you know, you still got the media saying, you know, that student leader who's involved in everything and doing everything and that kind of glamorizes you, but then they're also getting the, but make sure you're eating and you're taking time for yourself and that, and self-care is important and seeing a lot of students stuck in this, like almost pull between the two, I think uh, is something that we were kind of exploring. And I know uh, other folks have been chatting a lot too, because yeah, it's a, it can be a lot for student leaders on how to navigate kind of all the different ways that they're pulled into. Well, and before we go to Paula and Amanda, I was just doing some reading about how I think sometimes with folks who are in positional student leadership roles, our RAs, our you know, mentors, our dons, whoever, I think the attitude was that they were somehow like invincible or not also dealing with mental health issues or crises or the pressures of being a student. And then so we would always and I remember having gone through this experience, we would talk about students in distress if it was never going to be us like it was like oh this is another person and it was very so i think as a trend i think that we're catching up on ourselves knowing that the students who are in these roles who are dealing with vicarious trauma who are dealing with the stress of being a student leader and dealing with all of these things we also we can't just assume that um they are these in, invincible student leaders uh, that we also need to provide supports for them for them as well because they are dealing with a lot right there's a lot of pressure um, all right, Paula. Yeah, it's my thought is on the same vein as um, Adam was just talking about is that I think the one of the things that we're focusing on right now is well being and wellness on campus across the board, whether it be students, staff, faculty, etc. And I, I, I am very cognizant with where I am located in the country. Cost of living is a big thing. There's lots of other just life basic stresses. Um, how do I build in wellness to these leadership positions and any training, whether it's students who are in positional leadership positions or are just coming in for some training? How do I build in wellness training? How do I ensure that they're, um, they can help themselves before they help other people? Um, and I wonder if there's a way that that can contribute to modeling for like student affairs professionals as well as our student staff. Because I think that for many of us, we started as student leaders on our campuses and then became and found ourselves in these roles that we absolutely adore. But some of those patterns and behaviors that we learned as student leaders have continued and we're passing on to the next generation. So how do we do that? That's my big question these days. That's a good question. I'm, and a thing that just flashed in my mind was when we're training folks on like we're making effective referrals to campus resources. And we're like, oh, if you have a student who needs it, you can refer them. But we never talk about it as if you are also able to access these resources. And in fact, doing it is probably going to make you a better 
leader in some ways. And so, I, again, just kind of how do we normalize those discussions around the wellness and well-being of, of the students and the student leaders? Yes. Um, yeah. Very good point. Thanks, Paula. Um, Amanda. Uh, one thing that I'm thinking about, and this might be a bit more related to this like, staff leadership development, but perhaps there's some through lines with, with students as well. Uh, but just navigating constant change, whether within an organization, in your, you know, your life outside or just the, you know, the world in general and how how you can continue to be present in the work that you're doing while also having it being quite difficult to hold the mental energy to process the world around you, process the organization that you're in, the team that you're in. Um, and so understanding like there's a bit of a balance or maybe not a balance, but uh, there's sometimes a bit of a tension between how can I be uh, a well human in an organization that it maybe expects productivity or has certain expectations uh, of me either as a, a staff or a student. So I'm thinking about uh, about that a lot uh, uh, as well now. Really, really excellent points. And I feel like we could stay in this present day discussion around what leadership educators are, are thinking about and troubling. Uh, but I'd like to talk about the future of leadership education. But maybe before that, I think I would just offer one thing that I'm noticing in our conversations too is around, I think we've always, we, many folks in La Cop have uh, really troubled this notion of what a leader or what leadership is. I don't think, I think it really has been approaching it from like this socially constructed lens of this is this thing that we, many people buy into, but it doesn't have to be that way. If it can be socially constructed, it can be deconstructed and reconstructed. And I think uh, one of the things I'm noticing more is that's more at the for forefront of like, what what does it mean to you? What do you want to do with it? It's not about, okay, here's the 10 ways to be a leader and here's your rubric. It's really turning to students about, okay, what is the way that you want to move the world and how can you move through the world and how can you leverage your gifts and your talents um, and think in a, of an appreciative lens around the skills and, and talents you're bringing to the process of leadership. Um, that seems to be more obviously at the forefront from what I'm noticing around programming across the board. It's not, here's the prototype of a student leader or a leader in general. Um, and how do you fit into that? It's like really, now we're trying to showcase, no, there, there is, you don't have to be, you can be shy and introverted and hold a, like a really important position or lead from within and not have a position at all. And I think those are all really valuable ways to contribute. And I think that's been a through line, but I, I just see it more dominantly the way people are talking about the work that they're doing on their campuses. And maybe that'll be a through line into the future around the work that we're doing. But I, as we're thinking about the future, what are things that you either would want to see or that you predict will happen in terms of the world of leadership education on our campuses? I, do, I don't know if anyone wants to go first. Shannon, I feel like you're giving me a, a raised I eyebrow. Know, a I don't know that question, I was. But... <laughs> yeah, if you could just solve it for everyone, that would be great. It's, it's interesting because I've been thinking about um, the sector of post-secondary generally and a major aspect of discourse these days is the number of international students that are coming in and what that adds is this richness and this diversity to the student and campus experience um, but it also adds a different set of needs or demands perhaps on our programs and services and um, conversations recently with some colleagues at other institutions where we were, we were talking about how you know we're seeing more international students wanting to hold positional roles, even though our programming may be shifting to what you were just sort of chatting about, Adam, that idea of 
you know, creating space for skill development, relationship building skills, critical thinking skills um, that we want students to be able to develop and then use as they see fit, right? To like, where do they see themselves in the world? That um, we are seeing an increase in in some populations wanting a positional title um, and wanting to to hold a role that feels really valuable to them in terms of perhaps the skills they could learn or, or what they could contribute. So I, I feel like that might be a trend that we continue to see as the demographics on our campuses change. In terms of something that I'm really hoping might continue to be a developed part of um, the leadership education and development conversation moving forward, not only for our students, but for ourselves. Um, beyond the wellness pieces that folks have been talking about, it's the like reflection and critical thinking components for ourselves around sort of our learning and our place um, and what we're doing, but also what we're absorbing. Um, so how we're taking in the information that comes at us and how we're making decisions about what we do with that in some way. And I think the critical thinking pieces are often really challenging to, to teach, to learn, and to practice. And so creating some spaces for students, and in my case now, it's much more, um, I think, about staff that report to me for them to be thinking critically about choice and consequence, about um, but what is happening around them feels like it will continue to be part of the dialogue because the amount of information that is coming at people and to Jenny's point earlier, the expectations that folks have weighing on them that at a certain stage of development feel like will inform your life forever if you get it wrong, feels very heavy. And so that reflection skills, those critical thinking skills that might help folks navigate their choice making feel like, I hope, will be something that continues throughout their life. Like if that's what we could leave them with, that they could take to make their decisions and be well in the future, that would feel great. Whether that's actually going to be a trend, I don't know. I'm going to try for it in my little sphere of influence, but um, I don't necessarily know where the uptake will land. Thanks, Shannon. Um, Paula, did you have anything in terms of what the future might look like for leadership educators? Shannon kind of stole my two thoughts. I don't know. We're definitely <laughs> on different sides of the country. But yeah, I, I'm thinking a lot about not only international students, but as our campuses become different and the demographics are shifting, what does leadership education look like, this new generation of students? There's a lot of conversations with at least our student leaders about, well, do you need to have a role? Do you need to have a title to do good work in the world? And so that's a really interesting conversation. And then that kind of juxtaposition with a lot of cultures and places having the importance of a role and a titled role. And so that 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 conversation is a really interesting one that's just kind of percolating on our campuses. I think the other thing is helping students articulate what they're learning, who they are, what they're exploring in this ever-changing world. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world and having students be able to talk about things, what they believe, who they are, that's a key component of leadership education and especially in those positional areas, how they articulate those things. 
um, I think about a lot. And then the uh, on the kind of vice versa side of things or shifting things is that so many of our colleagues who are in the leadership educators community practice are doing graduate studies of whether it's master's or PhD level studies. There's a lot of really cool research and literature coming out of Canada now. We've a law for a long time depended on leadership education in the States. Um, but there's a lot of really cool work happening in Canada. And I cannot wait to see what that ha- what happens with that. Awesome. Thanks, Paula. Amanda, how about you? Um, maybe just repeat everything Shanna and Paula said, and I'm sure what Jenny would say as well. Y'all are brilliant. Some things that have been percolating for me and more from an observer perspective to um, uh, leadership education for students at the moment, but um, some things around making intentional choices with, with, our, with our time. And I love what you said there about um, that critical reflection uh, as well, Shannon. Um, I, I'm, of course, I, I think they're, um, from what I've observed and, and, you know, close contacts of mine and, and who are in post-secondary right now as, as students, but, but advocacy for um, uh, themselves, for others, for communities that uh, are, are close to themselves for, you know, against injustices, uh, et cetera, I think is, is going to be a huge, uh, it will continue to be so important and, and, and really relevant as in the world uh, goes forward. Um, so those, those are the things that, that are, that are really um, that I'm seeing as an observer and, 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 and feel really, um, really excited about uh, leadership education um, to be involved in those things. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Jenny. Can I just say ditto and then, <laughs> no. Absolutely. Um, yeah, beyond all these wonderful thoughts, I'm also really excited to see the way that um, leadership education is going to happen in terms of like the tools that we're using. I think with um, the the pandemic and, you know, being forced to adopt certain, you know, virtual platforms, but now we're seeing hybrid meetings and making things more accessible. I'm really excited to see how leadership educators kind of utilize those tools and make, you know, trainings or even hiring practices, like group interviews, more kind of accessible to folks, whether that be using technologies or looking at it from a different perspective as well. Awesome. Thanks all. Um, I think I could sit here and talk with you all day. You're four brilliant humans and I'm so lucky to call you colleagues. And I, I think knowing the the challenges that are happening in the world and they manifest on our campuses in particular ways just highlights for me the importance of having you know, thoughtful, equity-centered leadership educators. And that to me is a big part of my draw to LACOP is the chance to talk and learn from folks who are doing the important work of you know, training, developing, educating, supporting leaders, positional, non-positional um, in lots of different shapes and forms. And so I just wanted to conclude by saying thank you to all of you. There's a few folks who wanted to be here but couldn't. And so thank you to all our, you know, present and past co-chairs of LACOP, members who've contributed on the council, members who, members who have contributed on panels and projects and as leadership linked mutual mentors. So it really is a, a very cool community and I feel lucky to call myself part of it. So thank you for devoting the time today to just get together and gab a bit about leadership education. Thank you so much.
The Caucus 50 Oral History Project is an initiative of the Canadian Association of College and University Student Services in recognition of our organization's 50 years of engaging student affairs professionals in Canada. The series of podcasts is recorded and produced by Sean Fast, Adam Kewen, Nicholas Fast, Rachel Barreca, Stephanie Mulatoller, Noah Arney, Sally Chen, Estefania Toledo, Paula Jean Broderick, Jennifer Brown, Margaret DeLeon, and Becca Gray. Intro and outro music is courtesy of Alexi Stryapchi. This podcast is recorded, produced, and published on the traditional territories of hundreds of Indigenous nations from across the northern half of Turtle Island, also known by its settler colonial name, Canada. We are grateful for the opportunity to live, work, and learn on this land. Miigwech.